0: Every study has shown that exercise alone is three times more effective than any antidepressant for depression and anxiety. Why is nobody talking about this? Why is there no cover of Time magazine that says, eat your berries? Because there's no money to be made. But lifestyle must be instituted because if you want to reverse some of this damage, that only that can actually reverse the disease process. If somebody's severely depressed, you put them on antidepressants. We're not against it. But if you don't bring in the lifestyle factors, which is even more than just exercise and nutrition, we're talking about socialization and cognition, you're not doing any benefit. After a while, that medicine is not gonna be enough. Then a third and a fourth, then it's too late. Then it's too late.
1: Then That's too late. Doctors Dean and Aisha Shirzai. And this is The Proof Podcast. Hey, beautiful friends. Welcome back to another episode. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. I hope that you've been keeping well. For new listeners, I'm Simon Hill, host of this show, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. Please do sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends.
2: When you get exposed to daylight first thing in the morning, when the sunshine hits your eye, that's when the natural form of melatonin is secreted. And that actually sets your sleep for the night. Yes. So that's the most important thing you need to do. Yes, it's good to have a dark bedroom, but pull those those curtains and expose yourself to sunlight the first thing in the morning.
0: Correct. And then, then the, the brisk walk, Harvard study showed that 20 minutes of brisk walk reduces your chance of Alzheimer's whenever we say Alzheimer's that's the end stage that's the worst but all the other cognitive processes the damage is included in that right we forget even if you don't we're talking about slowing of cognition and all reduced by 45 percent by daily wow, brisk walk so that God. morning brisk walk is probably the best thing you can do mm-hmm. then a great breakfast a whole high-
2: food a whole food plant-based breakfast because for, for various reasons first of all it's the best thing that you can do for your brain to give it the right nutrients, a plant-based nutrient. But also if you make a decision to eat the healthiest meat in the morning, you're more bound to eat healthier during the day because you've just had a beautiful start.
0: Yes, then meditation or mindfulness. I mean, it doesn't have to be crossing your legs and you know any, anything like that, which is fine, I love that. But um, the, the ability to build that habit of focus building. Imagine you had a walk, you had breakfast, great breakfast. Now set the brain in the right direction by this habit of higher focus. So you're, you're initially you start with three minutes in the morning and, and people say, oh, I'm terrible at meditation because I can't focus more than six seconds. Well, that's the whole point. Every time you re-trigger and come back to focus, you're actually building the muscle of focus.
2: It's like a biceps curl for the brain.
0: Yeah. So increase that focus, six seconds. Seven seconds, eight seconds to the point that, you know, I have an 83 year old gentleman who's following me, who's actually flying from Northern California to see me every few months. He's now doing 30 minutes of deep, deep focus, and he's sharper than any human being you can Im- ever imagine. So now you've set the date as far as focus and attention is concerned. Second, next is, believe me or not, organization, you know, whiteboard, a board. We invest in so many things, but the simplest thing visually organize the pathways of action with a specific purpose-driven goal at the end. So that actually sets your day. And every time you create a success, around nutrition, exercise, neuro, uh, you know, uh, stress management, sleep, and optimizing mental activity, you've built a brain.
2: And those checklists and check marks actually serve as a positive affirmation. The fact that you see your success in front of you every single day and no clutter and distraction around you is, is like medicine.
0: And it actually builds that habit pathway. The habit pathways are actually subcortical. They're actually highways, white matter, the pathways in this uh, basal ganglia. Now, I, like I said, they are set during your teenage years with teenage habits. We have a, a couple, they're good kids, but their teenagers are teenagers. Resetting them in positive way, right? So now that's, that's the pattern uh, creation with the whiteboard or whatever you do. Then lunch. Again, whole food, plant-based. Again, I'm making sure that you get the carbs so that you have an even keeled release of sugar instead of this high, you know, high glycemic peaks. Um, and get rid of fats, uh, especially saturated fats. Absolutely, Because, you know, forget about the brain. It's going to clog the way to the brain. And after lunch, what we do is another session of meditation, shorter. But again, bringing the mind back to focus. And then when we've actually reduced caffeine as we get older, well, she doesn't get older, I get older. Uh, the, the caffeine again, caffeine starts affecting you a little differently. So before I could drink coffee, right before sleep, and I would be out. Now, if I'm eating, drinking past two o'clock, it's going to affect me. Mm -hmm. Most people are not actually aware of that. See if that effect is there. So we reduce that. And then again, from then on, one other meditation or mindfulness session we do is at night. We do exercise earlier in the day before five o'clock because you don't want to be revved up and most of what we do is in, in front of the, you know, in, in the living space. Everything we do is living space. So making, because it's more likely to happen. And and also we want to build that habit in our kids. So that's what we do.
2: Making sure you drink water. I mean, there, you know, when we used to work in Beverly Hills, everybody would come with the detox of the day, detox this and detox that. And I think the most important detox are two, one is sleep. We talked about that. And the second one is water. You need water for the different chemical processes in your body. And dehydration, even at a a lower level, can actually cause confusion. So making sure you're well hydrated is important. I think focusing on foods that are high in nutrients and low in unnecessary calories is, is important. So even if you had like a handful of things to eat, it has to be the healthiest thing for the brain. And, you know, it's, 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 there's so many different foods that are great for the brain. And we as a family, we try to eat a wholesome food that is, includes, you know, a good amount of all of them. But there are particular ones that stand out. Uh, so, for example, you know, berries stand out as being one of the best foods for the brain. Why? Because they have flavonoids and, uh, you know, these particular colored compounds that are very high in anti-inflammatory products. And when you eat those, you provide the necessary nutrients for your brain to build those connections of yeah. habits, to be able to help you focus in rather than get distracted and that inflammation and the oxidation and the process of getting rid of the junk is not there. The other things that are wonderful for concentration are walnuts or any nuts, particularly walnuts. Um, but not, But not in excess. Not in excess, of course, because they're a great source of polyunsaturated fats, and they are high in fiber and have some protein, and they're
1: good source of nutrients. They're like a small handful. A small handful. Nothing
2: more than that. Yeah, Yeah. we actually said this to one of our patients that nuts are good for you, and he was eating, you know, jars of walnuts every single day, and that was that's all never a good idea. Um, And then as far as other things are concerned, you know, having fiber, you know, complex carbohydrates with fiber, such as oatmeal and whole grains that uh, create a steady flow of glucose, which is the most important fuel for our brain. Everybody, you know, talks about ketogenic diet and the importance of ketones, but we do need a constant source of glucose in our body. And the best thing are, you know, complex carbohydrates, whether it's from whole grains or vegetables or fruits is is very important you don't want have tanked glucose levels in your body because that's when the body goes into a stage of starvation and that causes a lot of brain fog and uh, lack of concentration
0: now speaking to that the energy long term benefit for the brain which has all the vegetables that you have to give it all the, you know, selenium, zinc, choline. And, and you know, a lot of people say, oh, you can't get choline from vegetables except from eggs. And the, no, there's plenty in vegetables. And so that's long-term benefit, short-term benefit. Short-term negative is things that stimulate rapidly, that you might feel good immediately, but long-term it can be damaged. And very short-term is sugar. Uh, it's funny, when I was in high school, I was captain of my soccer team. Somebody told me honey and, and I said, okay, so I, I bought jars of honey for all the soccer players. And right before the game, about 10 minutes, we gave them, I, I was one of those dictators. You have to eat half the jar. So everybody was revved up and ramped up you know, for five minutes, 10 minutes. <laughs> Halfway through the game, everybody was dead because it just tanked. And it actually does that. And, and instead of just coming to back to normal, you go lower. So so the ketones ketogenic diet is the same thing. A little longer term, but same thing. That's why people on ketogenic diet feel a boost initially. Why? I have it written in the wall here, the cycle. The molecule is a three carbon molecule. You know, I did a whole uh, the, uh, comic bit on this. For glucose to get into your body, it's this cycle. It, it has to do a lot of work. Imagine glucose being a young man trying to date a young girl. In order for that young man to get to know this young girl, it has to go to the door. And if it's too many young men, the door goes in. You know, the receptor goes in. So no insulin receptor, no. You could, in insulin resistance, there's a lot of sugar, but there's no receptor. So it can't go in. So just the right amount of young men and one of them knocks. And then the grandfather comes and the father comes and the uncle and all this. And it's a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of work. And then there's a somewhat stable relationship. And then somehow you get to the mitochondria. And you can imagine what mitochondria is in that relationship. It's a little x-ray. But but it took a lot of work to get to that relationship. (laughs) Ketones, two carbon, no receptor, right through the cell wall, right to the mitochondria. Forget about father, you just cheated. You went through the window. And yeah, you feel good initially. Lots of energy, lots of whatever you want to say. But long term inflammation, long term lots of cell damage, even amyloid da- accumulation. We know this. So short term benefit. When did we ever lose this perspective that short term benefit is benefit? There's a lot of things that you feel good with short term. You want short term? Start doing cocaine. You're gonna feel revved up like crazy, but that's gonna be very short term. Mm. You know, ketone ketogenic diet is the same thing. Short term, you feel revved up. You even lose weight. But that's just temporary weight. remember the muscles that have uh, carbohydrates plus the water that's bound, that's 20, 15 pounds long term c- crash.
2: And I think uh, if I may add this. Uh, you're, you're trying know, to get
0: away from that analogy. No, data. I can
2: never say it as flowery <laughs> as you, Dean. You are amazing. But, you know, when, when ketones have been touted as, as a great source of fuel for the brain, it's always in the context of a brain that has been shocked. Yeah, That brain and the brain cells have not had proper glucose entry as a fuel. So obviously there's something wrong with the receptors. Obviously there might most likely is some level of insulin resistance. So ketones as a shortcut use a completely different pathway and a door to get into the brain and the brain feels amazing. Now, again, that's just short term. How about getting rid of all that pathology that has shocked the brain to begin with and start giving it the right fuel, the long-term fuel that is healthier that is sustainable, and that does not damage the blood vessels and other structures that are responsible for proper brain functioning.
0: That's the way to do it, long-term, short-term. But for focus, the foods, long-term, whole food plant-based, amazing ability to foster and build the brain. Short-term, again, it's on the negative side. Get rid of things that stimulate, like sugars and things of that nature that affect focus. And, and even caffeine, for some people it's good, there are studies that show that caffeine short-term has the benefit from focus. For some people who already have some anxiety, who already have some focus problems, it actually is negative. So it's a little more complex than that. So it's not just that caffeine is good and bad, it's the situational. So that's what we were actually talking about is each person has to figure out where they are in that spectrum of attention and apply. But, in, but the focus should be on long-term development. Mm-hmm. That's not as sexy as give me almonds and I'm going to be doing, getting A's on the test.
2: So dietary fats are important for brain health, but it's, it's actually a problem of quantity and quality that is causing the disease. The brain does have you know, structures that are made of fat and we need that raw material for the integrity of the brain. But when we consume too much of it and the wrong type of it, so saturated fats actually cause inflammation at the vascular level. And when people tend to have the genes, or say the ApoE4 genes, that doesn't really transport cholesterol and fat across the cell, and doesn't actually do a very good job at metabolizing it properly, that's when problems set in. As a matter of fact, we were reading some articles that came out just a couple of weeks ago where people who have Alzheimer's disease actually have abnormalities of fat and cholesterol removal from the cells. And you get to see micelles or, you know, particles of cholesterol just stuck in there and the brain is not able to remove it. So we're learning more and more about it, but, you know, just because parts of the brain is made of fat doesn't necessarily mean we have to just guzzle down fat. You know, we get enough fat from our food. We get enough fat from an unprocessed plant-based diet And the body itself actually produces cholesterol, and that's enough. And on the other hand, we see the damage that cholesterol and saturated fats cause at the vascular level. Sometimes it's difficult to understand that the way food and nutrients get to the brain is through these very, very sensitive arteries. And if these arteries are damaged, the inner lining and the endothelium of these arteries are damaged because of saturated fats, forget about getting nutrition to the brain.
0: Brain gets enough fat. Yeah, we might actually give some omega-3s. And the, the Advanced health study just came out that actually vegans had more omega-3 levels than omnivores. And that was actually, even to me, that was a shock. Uh, you would think that because they eat egg and this and... But no, well, maybe you have enough in your chia and your flaxseed and all these things. Mm-hmm. Plenty for your brain and some nuts here and there. So if there is omega, need for omega for several reasons. Omega-3, omega-6 pathway we all know is needed in the body. But the omega-6 pathway is more inflammatory and coagulation, which is needed. You, you don't coagulate, you bleed. And omega-3 is the opposite direction. I'm simplifying, but that's basically it. And as we get older, we want to switch that pathway a little bit. And even in the young, especially very young, you want some omega-3 DHA for building of the anti-inflammatory as well as building the brain. You do need that.
2: So just to be on the safe side, we actually supplement. We take an algae-based omega-3 fatty acids on a regular basis.
0: A lot of the drugs we have is almost like chemotherapy older chemotherapy was poison, right? So you gave poison to cells that reproduce rapidly and cells that reproduce rapidly are usually cancer cells. So you kill the cancer cells before you killed your own. That's why people lost hair and skin and all that stuff. So, but people don't realize that a lot of our other drugs for brain are also the same way. They're blunt, meaning that, for example, if antipsychotic drugs take away the dopamine, or lower the dopamine level, not in a very specific way, although some of the newer ones go a little bit higher level of specificity. For example, uh, one type of dopamine versus another type, but still it's blunt. So it's not only affecting that behavior, it's affecting all of brain. So there's almost no drug that you could be taking that affects that one particular disease and definitely no drug that actually reverses that disease process specifically, we're still using very blunt mechanisms. Okay. Every study has shown that exercise alone is three times more effective than any antidepressant for depression and anxiety. Why is nobody talking about this? No money to be made. Study after study, foods and its relationship with depression as effective if not more effective than some antidepressants. Why is there no cover of Time magazine that says eat your berries? Because there's no money to be made. There was money to be made from butter, not from berries. So this is not an anomaly. The data is there, out there uh, for everybody to see. So I'm not saying that we're against medicine. We're actually completely the opposite. When there is need for medicine, it should be there. But it should never be the way it is now, which is it's assumed that somebody who's put on blood pressure medicine, they're on it for the rest of their life. Let's take blood pressure medicines. Blood pressure medicines don't reverse disease. What they do is artificially keep the arteries open. Arteries that have become tighter and clogged because of lifestyle. You use one blood pressure medicine, which keeps it open for a little bit. The damage is continuing because you didn't do anything for underlying lifestyle, right? So now, after a while, now you need two blood pressure medicines because you didn't do anything for underlying cause. So that keeps it open a little longer. And then after two years, three medicines. By then it's too late. The only way you should be doing this is if somebody comes in with high blood pressure, definitely high blood pressure medicine acutely. But lifestyle must be instituted because if you want to reverse some of this damage, that only that can actually reverse the disease process. Then slowly you take them off that. Same thing with antidepressants. We're not against it. If somebody's severely depressed, you put them on antidepressants. But if you don't bring in the lifestyle factors, which is even more than just exercise and nutrition, we're talking about socialization and all that and cognition, you're not doing any benefit. After a while, that medicine is not going to
1: be enough. Then a third and a fourth, and then it's too late. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally. to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetrackercom forward slash Simon. That's insidetrackercom forward slash Simon.
2: there's good stress and then there's bad stress. And determining what is good stress and what is bad stress is very important because you have to reduce your bad stress. Bad stress is the type of stress that is not leading to anything in your life. It's not connected to your purpose. It's, it's somebody else's and has been imposed on you and you don't see light at the end of the tunnel. That is bad stress. And when you define it, it's those daily worries small little things that you worry about over and over again, and you really aren't doing anything to get rid of, whether it's relationship, job-related, children, anything that might be. So just putting it on a notebook or a wall or a whiteboard to say, this is bothering me. Redefine it, put a circle around it. That's bad stress. At the same time, identifying good stress. And the good stress is the type of activity that one wants to be connected to because it, it leads to your goal and mission in life. Whether it's that, educational material that you just got that you want to learn or whether it's going back to school or being involved in a project and in your job or taking on a project and excelling in it. That's good stress. Yes, it does cause a lot of stress. It might actually, you know, ruin your sleep for a few days, but you know that you will succeed in it. You know that that actually will add something to your life to make you a bigger person, to to establish that purpose. So it starts from there it's just defining the two and then slowly and gradually working towards increasing your good stress and getting rid of bad stress
0: so to make it even more tangible we don't really sit down and write things down specifically i mean we we're in a world of slogans and memes write down the bad stress, Mm -hmm. clearly in front of you. In fact, put it in a whiteboard in front of you because maybe you won't get some insight from it now, but all of a sudden, while you're sitting there, there's a eureka moment Mm -hmm. and we'll come out. The most important thing in our life, which is good stress, which is purpose-driven life, which is supposed to actually bring out your courage, which is supposed to give you direction and bring the full potential of their mind. We never work on. We don't. We just work on the things that have some of them have failed and we repeat thinking that it's going to go away. We know the definition of insanity. But, and, and others that, that we, we just do because we've been doing it. Work systematically, strategically towards increasing the good stress. And by just doing that, because it's a zero-sum economics, the brain only has so much space. Well, it has a lot of space. I'm talking about the conscious, but it's going to push away the bad stress. If the greater real estate is owned by good stress, where you're trying to create a world-renowned podcast that's going to change Australia and the world, the small, the other stresses become small in connection to that mm-hmm. because it serves so many people and you know it's going to affect people. You know that it's going to change the world from, from environment to you know, health and everything else. That really, that build that just went off, is that going to be that big of a stress in comparison to this? No, it takes over your brain and it becomes positive. And why is that important? It actually is an anatomical importance. The interpretation is in the same place, limbic system, frontal lobe. But good stress stimulates the part of the amygdala and the limbic system that says that's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Remember the good stress. Okay. And then it sends different messages to the hippocampus, sorry, hypothalamus, and then the pituitary. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it actually does something different to the body than bad stress. Bad stress actually creates this combobulation and disorder in the pituitary, which is where the hormones of thyroid, insulin, growth hormone, everything is controlled from there, right? Completely different outcome versus good stress, which actually modulates it. Oxytocin levels go up, cortisol levels go down, adrenaline levels go down. The thyroid is actually optimized. The insulin levels, we know experiments that emotions, how immediately they affect their insulin level and growth level and testosterone level. So by just doing that act of defining your good stress and increasing it systematically over time, you've just actually completely changed your immune system, your endocrine system, your vascular system, and this is not soft science. This is actually the the, the connection between the um, the limbic and hypothalamic pituitary axis is well known, and they've done many experiments, both animal and especially human, that. By doing one, cortisol goes up, the bad one. By doing the other, the oxytocin levels go up and cortisol goes down and everything else changes in your body.
2: Speaking from a personal experience with a lot of patients who have cognitive decline at a very young age or the brain fog that they come in, how many times do we hear about brain fog? When you look at their lives and you assess them beyond the biochemical nature of their metabolism they're just overwhelmed with different elements in their life. There is clutter, literally and figuratively, around their life, a lot of stuff that they are dwelling in. So, getting rid of those and then having them use their iPhones or technology for prioritizing their activities. So, you know, scheduling things is, is incredibly important. Um, getting rid of clutter is important. So, so brain fog is is a term that is used to describe a stage where focus and attention is affected. For people who don't have the pathology of Alzheimer's disease, yes, it's the distraction and lack of focus. It's for not really focusing and attending to the important things and not being able to get rid of the things that are not important in your life.
0: There are many, many different things. I mean, people who have high blood pressure can get brain fog. People who have diabetes or even pre-diabetes. We did a study, a research uh, in Haynes, large nationwide data, that even people who didn't have diabetes but had higher levels of insulin resistance, they had lower cognitive state. And usually with that, you see brain fog. So there's metabolic reasons. There's, you know, cholesterol. We, we know in our patients, when people say, oh, your brain is made of fat, but therefore you need fat, uh, it's... Beyond ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we could spend five hours on this talking about how the vasculature we see, the white matter disease in people who have high cholesterol. There's almost a science denial going on right now that even cholesterol is not bad. So, vascular reasons. There's metabolic reasons. There is the one thing that Aisha beautifully says that uh, there's no such thing as multitasking. There's only doing multiple things badly. <laughs> you know, the concept of the brain is a linear organ. It's a linear functioning organ. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's f- fantastic. It's processing power is bewildering. One times 10 to the 50th per processing power, but it's still linear. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can do multiple things, but if you put them in their own place, finish, go to the next and, and compartmentalize. And everybody thinks that, you know, people who are successful, they're multitaskers. They are. Sometimes they are. And sometimes despite that, because of their capacity situation, they were successful, but Majority of them are great organizers mm-hmm. that organize everything in their linear pathways, get it done, and that checking. Oh my goodness! You want to get addicted to something? Get a checklist and check off. That stimulates dopamine. Get one pathway of work, get it done, check it off. Do that ten times, and come come back in, in, in your podcast, tell me how it has changed your life. <laughs>
1: There we go. I hope you found that interesting, instructive, illuminating, and clarifying. Of course, if you did, please share with your friends and family on the socials. The more people that we can help together, the better. And while you're there, make sure that we're connected. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at plant underscore proof. Quick one before I let you go. I am often asked what supplements I take probably one of the most common questions that I get actually. So I finally got around and created an in-depth supplement guide, totally free, that you can download along with a bunch of other free guides at plantproof.com. Inside, it contains information about daily supplements for everyday wellness along with performance supplements. The daily supplement that I personally take is a multi-nutrient supplement called Essential 8 by NutriKind. This is a product I formulated for NutriKind alongside their team that specifically contains the eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall a little short in. Omega-3s from algae, B12, vitamin D3 from mushroom, iodine from seaweed, calcium, zinc, selenium, and iron the right forms in the right doses to complement your plant-rich diet. To find out more or subscribe to a monthly delivery, head to NutriKind.com, that's N-U-T-R-I-K-Y-N-D.com, and use the code plantproof for 15% off your purchase. So in summary, grab a copy of the supplement guide at plantproof.com, And if you are in the market for a daily multi-nutrient to cover your bases, head to NutriKind.com and use the code PLANTPROOF for 15% off. On that lovely note, it's time to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and for your ongoing interest in evidence-based nutrition. I appreciate you and I look forward to repeating it all again in a few days' time. Until then, remember... More plants, my friends. More plants.